please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. This will be week number 14, looking at the Ten Commandments, and this will run for probably four or five, perhaps six more weeks. Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 15 if you will. Thou shalt not steal, you will not steal. When a society starts to steal, it will fall apart. If you think of pagan religions, if you think of primitive people, even to this day, if you steal somebody's pig or somebody's horse or somebody's cow, they will almost certainly remove your fingers. And if you do it again, they will remove your hand. And if you continue to steal, they will take your head off. This is very simple stuff. It takes place in every civilization, of course, in the West. Theft is no big deal. You have white-collar crime, which you don't hear much about. But theft in any society is a cancer, is a serious subject. Look at chapter 21 from the same book. Exodus chapter 21. Look at verse 16, if you will. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Stealing someone, like kidnapping someone, Today that's called people trafficking. It's a big issue all over the world. People are being sold left, right and centre. Slavery has never really gone away. You may not find it so much in the West, but you find it in Islamic countries. A lot of slavery still continues to this present day. And here from 21.16, And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So, Theft would result in capital punishments. And again, nine out of the Ten Commandments, if you broke them, would result in capital punishment. And here we are way back in the Old Testament. Go to Leviticus chapter 19. And the Lord is laying the law down. And he's making it very clear to the children of Israel that if they would steal someone, and here it's someone, they would lose their own lives. Elsewhere, it was made very clear that if an animal was found wandering, or if an animal was stolen, you would replace it with one of your own. Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 19, look at verse 11 if you will. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. So again, if you have a society, a state, which starts to lie, and they all do, and the word of God says how all liars will have their parts in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. When society starts to steal and starts to lie, it's all over. We expect politicians to lie. They call politicians professional liars. They call politicians a profession of liars. And there's much truth in that. But when you have churches that lie, people that lie, for example, you may lie to your children. You may say, if you're not good, Father Christmas won't come. Or, if you're not good, the fairy may not come. Or, if you don't do this, or if you don't do that, there'll be no goodies for you. And parents lie to their children about good old Father Christmas, or the tooth fairy, or this or that. And, of course, when kids grow up, they say, you lied about this, you lied about that. And, of course, what's to stop them turning around and saying, did you lie about Jesus as well? It's a tough one. Best not to lie whatsoever. One more time from verse 11. Ye, now it's all of you shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. Be honest. In business, at home, in your professional life, in your personal life. Be transparent. That's the word they like to use today. Be as transparent as you can. First of all, your kids are watching you. Secondly, your peers, 
your spouses are watching you, friends and family are watching you, and if you start to behave on a regular basis in a dishonest manner, you set a very bad example, and on top of that, your kids watch you and will no doubt certainly copy you, imitate you. But let's broaden this out a bit more. Go to Jeremiah 23. There are many different definitions of theft, stealing, not just stealing someone's animal. As far as God is concerned, there is something which is even more serious. Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 23, look at verse 30, if you will. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one, from his neighbor. A major problem today with all of the new Bibles. They steal the words of the Lord. They omit words of the Lord. I think it's the NIV from memory, which has omitted, removed 60,000 words. Not 600 words, not 16,000 words. How about 60,000 words? And yet the majority of churches continue to promote the new versions, condemn, ridicule, mock the good old King James Bible, which I'm reading from this morning. And these people don't have any fear of the Lord. Over in Isaiah, it says how they would fear. They would quake. They would shake at the word of the Lord. How many people today that so in ministry or not quake? When they look at the Word of God, fear the Word of God, shake when they read the Word of God. Not very many, I would suggest. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets. Here, Jehovah is speaking about his prophets, his Jewish prophets, vicariously his people today in the church. And I'm, I'm going to say this, that not all of the heretics and apostates that are correcting the Word of God are all lost. These could be saved people. You can be a saved heretic. The definition of an apostate is somebody who has gone south. Somebody who belongs to the Lord but has departed from the Lord while at the same time still pretending to be with the Lord while real in, re in, in reality is denying biblical principles. Behold, I am against the prophets, plural, like many of them, saith the Lord, Jehovah is speaking, that steal my words. Jesus Christ will say, you're not of your father, you don't know your father, my father, but you of your father the devil. My words have no place in you. Had they had a place in you, you would have rejoiced to see my day. And here, it's going back to the Old Testament, there was a rejection back in the Old Testament concerning the words of the Lord. Contrast that to the New Testament. The Jews would reject the words of the Lord. Not just the word, but the words of the Lord. And of course, Jesus Christ is the living word of God. That steal, powerful word, that steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. We could say this, that one way to steal the words of the Lord would be to play down certain things. I could say it's no big deal to do this. It's no big deal to do that. I could say you have liberty in the Lord. You could do this. You can do that. And by doing that, I've stolen the words of the Lord. Going back to what we said last Sunday, if you're not a libertarian, you could be a legalist. If you're not a legalist, you are a libertarian. It's very rare to find somebody who is somewhere in the middle. But one more time, Jehovah is condemning apostate Jews in the Old Testament for stealing his words, amending his words. Contrast that to the Pharisees who would reject the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fast forward into the Pauline epistles, heretics coming along, undermining the Apostle Paul, undermining the Apostle Peter, undermining the Apostle John. These men are uneducated. They can't even read letters. 
They're just peasants, just fishermen, unlike us. We are the real deal. And here we are today, at the end of the church age, in the Laodicean, Laodicean era. And we've got people all over the place that are correcting the words, uh, the words of God, literally, but also undermining the words of God, saying that we can't trust this book. Many definitions of stealing. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. You can steal an idea. You can steal a concept. You can steal a person's innocence. You can steal the Savior's simplicity, like Lordship Salvation. You may be a Calvinist or an Arminian, but the reality is there's almost no difference. You can steal state secrets. There was a lady in the UK who was found out maybe 10 years ago or so. She was a British spy, spying for the Russians. Her name was Mrs. Norwood. Mrs. Norwood. And she got away with it for many, many years. Unfortunately, she wasn't prosecuted. She should have been. And uh, she sold out the UK to Russia. Didn't take money either. She believed in it. There's a guy in America whose name escapes me. Worked for the FBI. Or maybe in the NSA. I forget which one it was. And uh, he was stealing secrets and selling them to the Russians. And the American FBI caught up with this guy. He's got 200 years prison sentence. He's in a room all on his own. Or I should just correct myself. He's got two guys sitting in a room with him because he knows a lot of secrets about the American government. He knows how the system works. And the Americans, to this day, to this day, are worried he may release secrets via a sympathetic prison guard, a warden, or somebody from the prison system, and therefore he's got two guys sitting with him, just in case he decides to start to talk. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, look at verse uh, 28 please. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Stop stealing, stop lying, Stop doing this, stop doing that, start doing right. That's basic repentance. When you get saved, you stop doing wrong, you start doing right. It's an ongoing process. It's not just a one-off event, it goes on forever, indefinitely. It's a difficult subject to really define, to really teach in a practical sense. We could all say, you know, are you living holy? In fact, on our long drive down here yesterday, we were talking about this in the car, about how a lot of Christians like to cripple other Christians and get their theological sticks out, if you will, and start to whip or beat other Christians with their sticks to say this, you have to do this, or you have to do that. But you can only beat someone so much. You can only encourage someone so much. Let him or her that stole steal no more. This is aimed at saved people. These epistles are written to saved people. Peter says, make sure you don't suffer as a murderer or as a busybody. Because Christians can be guilty of both. And here Paul is speaking to saved people, born again people. But let him labor like work, working with his hands, as, as Paul would do. The thing which is good, that he may have to give him that needeth. To provide for somebody else's need. Don't just steal from someone. Well, they say steal from Peter to pay Paul. Don't do that. Work with your own hands. It feels good to work with your own hands. But one more time, let him or her that stole... Steal no more, thou shalt not steal, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give him that needeth. That's basic religion. 
give your brother what he needs, go to Revelation 22. Give to somebody who really needs it. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Revelation 22, this feeds back to Jeremiah 23. Revelation 22, a very controversial passage. Revelation 22, look at verse 18, please. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, in the context of Revelation, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. So again, you can undermine the book. You can say, well, this isn't found in the best manuscripts. You could say, well, the early church fathers didn't think much of Revelation, and some of them didn't. Or Revelation wasn't really preached for the first couple of hundred years, which isn't true, but they'll say that anyway. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, in the context of Revelation, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Three severe warnings. Now I'm going to say this. I do believe once saved, always saved. I'm not going to shift on that. If I was to shift on that, I'll be quite honest with you all this morning, I would stop preaching right now because I know what sin is. I know what it means to sin. And if I didn't believe in once saved, always saved, I've got no ministry. I just close the book and do something completely different. But I know that this is speaking about, first of all, Revelation itself. And it's saying that those that would contaminate the book. And unfortunately, we go back to what I said a few moments ago, 60,000 words being removed from the NIV. The ESV is also very dubious, as is the Message Bible. The New King James refers to the Lord Jesus Christ from the... Uh, book of Acts, chapter 4, as thy holy servant, whereas the King James says, thy holy child. There's a distinction. Servant, child. For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, so on and so forth. And these very brilliant men and women, and I'm sure they are very brilliant, think nothing of correcting the words of God, removing, and sometimes even adding. Going back to the Apocrypha, which has never really been satisfactorily explained why that was put into the King James Bible and even some of our King James brethren sort of sidestep this and they say well the Apocryphal should have gone into the King James Bible for historical perspective and I say well if that's the case why didn't you put it back into your King James Bible today I've got a nice King James Bible sent to me from a brother in America it's lovely it's leather made and printed in America from memory I think it's the Cambridge edition doesn't have the Apocrypha in it Put it back in, boys. They say on the one hand it should be in there, that James was, well, James was right, King James was right to allow it to go in. He oversaw it, of course, didn't translate it. He had three groups of translators, but they say that it should have gone into the original King James Bible. I don't believe that. Of course, the Geneva Bible also had the Apocrypha in. Sometimes that gets overlooked. And then a guy called Charles Spurgeon came along and he said, get it out. And he put a lot of pressure on the Trinitarian Society and other publishers, Oxford, Cambridge, Westminster. And eventually, after, what, 200 years of the AV being on the market, the Apocrypha was removed. But they still say it to this day, it was right to go in the first time. It wasn't right to go in the first time. Those translators put it into the Bible. Yes, it was, it was at the end of the Old Testament, before the New Testament. Nobody would dispute that. But it's still in the Bible. And the average man or woman back in the 17th century didn't know much church history, why, why would they? Didn't know much about Hebrew or Greek, why would they? And they would read their Bibles and read the Apocryphal 
like Ezra and uh, Maccabees and all that other rubbish. And they would say it to be Judith. Oh, this must be the word of God. It's in the Bible. And it wasn't. I testify unto every man or woman that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. You get a blessing, by the way, when you first read Revelation. But here you're getting a curse. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book for the tribulation, not for the church age. And if any man or woman shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. It could be the Lamb's book of life, which is one option. And if it's a Lamb's book of life, you are finished. Or if it's a book of life in a general sense, where all our names are put in when we, when we are first born, then we get born again and we go into the Lamb's book of life, then there is a distinction to be made. And out of the holy city, and out of the holy city like New Jerusalem, could be a loss of one's millennial inheritance. And from the things which are written in this book, he which testifieth these things, saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 27. I'll be quite honest and say, I don't really know what to do with those verses. I know I spent 19 weeks going through Revelation, maybe three years ago, and I left the, uh, left the door open on that one. I intentionally sat on the fence as to how to really exegete those verses in the context. It's pretty serious in the context, or at, easy, at, a, at a quick glance. It's pretty damning, but to teach it doctrinally that you can lose your salvation by adding or tampering with the words of God, I don't know. It could be just simply in reference to the book of life, like the main book of life. Going back to you never saved to begin with. Okay, possibly. It doesn't say Lamb's book of life, so we don't want to go beyond the text and suggest that it does. Uh, Matthew 27, please. Matthew 27. You can steal somebody's wife. You can steal somebody's husband. You can steal somebody's daughter. You can steal somebody's son. You can steal somebody's grandchildren. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Look at verse 50, please. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, gave up the ghost, that's power. He would say he had power to, to lay his life down and to take it up again. For this very cause came I into this world. You call me Master and Lord, and so I am. Cried again with a loud voice. Now the flip side to this is demon possession. A loud voice. We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Son of the Highest. But here Christ is on the cross. He's got a crowd all around him. And he's also moments from death, almost certainly crying in Aramaic, his uh, childhood tongue. He would yield up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out to the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Quick, seal up the rent, the tear. The temple has been ripped into the veil itself. Put it back together again and get some masking tape, some duct tape. Put it back. It never happened. We're going to cover up what's just taken place. We don't want people to know that the veil of the temple has been ripped right down the middle, the holy of holies. Let's cover it up. And that begins the lie. That begins the great conspiracy. And I caught a video. In fact, I didn't actually watch it, but I saw it come up in my feed two days ago. And I may watch it when we finish our outreach of a Jewish 
rabbi, and I've watched some of his videos over the years, a very interesting rabbi, he's now taken on the King James Bible. He's ridiculing it. 34-minute video. I may watch it when I go home. I may do a video in response. I don't know. But the lie has begun. The temple has been uh, hit, if you will. The veil has been ripped in two from the top to the bottom. Earth did quake, an earthquake. The rocks rents, picturing the tribulation, of course. Graves were opened. The day is coming when those that are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God. Lazarus come forth, and he went forth. And many, not some, many of the bodies of the saints, saved Old Testament people, which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Let's cover it up. Let's lie about this. It never happened, of course. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. And we'll get there in a few weeks' time. All lies have their parts in the lake of fire. Go to Matthew 28. This lie continues. This stealing continues. They're stealing God's words. They're stealing his message. They are stealing his glory. Matthew 28, Matthew 28, look at verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Chief priests. The people and the priests are no good. Going back to Jeremiah 23, they steal my words. And here, the Roman watch has gone into the city and they've told the priests what took place. Look at verse 12. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, an evil word, counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, bribery. They sold out Joseph for 30 pieces of silver, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. Jesus Christ had no blood left in him. How his men... How his apostles, he referred to as disciples, were able to come at night, roll the stone away, which must have weighed a ton, take his body away. Why would they even bother? He's dead. And it has come to the governor's ears, like Pilate's. We will persuade him and secure you. We'll take care of you, don't worry. So they took the money. Theft. They're thieves. So they took the money, blood money, and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Go to 1 Samuel, please. So the Jewish leaders lied. They stole. They were complicit with pagan Romans who worshipped many gods. And these Jewish gentlemen, to this day, not all, but to this day, hate Jesus, attack Jesus Christ. They blaspheme him. The Talmud is an awful, uninspired Jewish book, not the Tanakh. Sometimes people get confused with the Tanakh and the Talmud. They're not the same. And this conspiracy has continued to this day to deny the Lord's deity, to deny his resurrection. We call those people resurrection deniers. Never mind Holocaust deniers. That's well documented. That's been dealt with many times over the years. And I'm not, a, I'm not in favor of those people. But those guys have been dealt with. How about Gulag deniers? I've never ever heard of anybody being a gulag denier. But these Jewish gentlemen, and they're still around today specifically, are resurrection deniers. They are thieves. They are liars. And yet Paul told you they are beloved for their father's sakes. This is the dichotomy. This is the paradox of Scripture. What are we to do with such people? 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 
21, look at verse 1 please. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? David is on the move. He's got a demon-possessed father-in-law. And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business, whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's lying to the priest. In a sense, he's stealing the words of the Lord. Later on, he will be a priest, a prophet, and a king. But here, David's actions, going back to let him that stole, steal no more, are going to have repercussions. Look at verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. He's a spy, a mercenary of some kind. He's a nasty piece of work. And unfortunately, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. For Ahimelech, the priest, verse 1 and 2. Look at verse 8. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. He's a liar. He's a liar. Saul was a bad man, was the Lord's anointed, was demon-possessed, like I've already said. And here David is fearful, and I'm going to suggest this, is reverting back to the old nature, which technically isn't an Old Testament doctrine, but he's lying. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. Poor old Amalek had no idea what was going on. He was believing what David was telling him. David is here being dishonest, bending the truth, if you will. Well, they say a white lie is no big deal. A half lie is no big deal. But the consequences are going to be absolutely horrific. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now David's working with Gentiles. David's a very complicated character. A wonderful man in heaven today. Going to be on the new earth. But when you read David, or when you profile David, he's a mystery man. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? He's got a reputation. And David laid up these words in his heart and was so afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. He's putting on a show. He's hamming it up, as I say in the acting world. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see, the man is mad. They said that about Jesus Christ, his brethren. Mark chapter 3. He is beside himself. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Why have you brought this man to me? He's a madman. Have I need of mad men? That ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And later on David would team up with the Philistines. 
join forces with them to deal with Israel under the wickedness, of course, of an apostate leader. Look at 22.6. When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the Menats were with him, now Saul abode in Gabeah under a tree in Ramah, having a spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing, were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards, and make your captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? Is he going to reward you, like I have, that all of you have conspired against me? He's paranoid. And there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, which was technically true. Jonathan and David were blood brothers. And there is none of you that is sorry for me. Talk about milking it. Or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. In other words, who is with me? Who is on my side? Then answered Doeg the Edomites, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Amalek, the son of Atiab, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. That's a partial truth. And of course here he's really stirring it. And I hate people that stir, sow discord among the brethren. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Atub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob. And they came, all of them, to the king. He's now summoning all these people to his presence. They must have been quaking in their boots, terrified. Saul had a reputation. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Atiab. And he answered, Here, I am my Lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and has, and has inquired of God for him? They should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day. Not true at all. David lied to the priest. Saul is interrogating him. He's got no idea what's going on. Then Amalek answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is a king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding and is honourable in thine house? Absolutely. David is royal. You are royal. He's your son. He's married your daughter. He's very close with Jonathan. He's not a liar. He's not a thief. Or is he? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servants, nor to the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. Absolutely true. This guy is innocent. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die. Amalek thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footman that stood before him, Turn and slay the priests, slay the priests of the Lord. Because the hand also was with David, it wasn't, but he thought it was, thought they were. And because they knew, and because they knew when he fled, and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth a hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. They had fear of the priests. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall among the priests, fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen cloth. Fourscore, eighty, eighty-five people just cut down because of David's behavior. 
Now, it's not all David's fault, to be fair. He's partly to blame for this, but it's not all of his fault. But he did lie. He was, he was being economical with the truth, as it were. 20. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Atiab, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Put his hands up. It's my fault. Abide thou with me. Fear not. There's a picture of Christ, the mediator, our saviour. For he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Stealing, lying, being dishonest, changing the words of the Lord, playing it safe, doing this and doing that. It's all unacceptable. Goes back to David's testimony, goes back to his relationship with the Lord. At least three levels of theft. And we looked at just a couple today. It could be an idea, it could be a concept, it could be the words of the Lord. The most serious, of course. But David lied, he stole. And the results would be the death of 85 priests. Innocent priests. Just cut down by a mercenary, a hired killer, working for a demon-possessed leader. Royalty, David's father-in-law. And again, this goes back to the complexity of some of the greats in the Old Testament. But for me, I guess the worst part of all of this would be stealing the words of the Lord, given over in Revelation, the consequences that will follow when people steal the words of the Lord. Many different levels of theft in society. Many music composers steal from each other. There's been many court cases in recent years of artists suing each other. He stole my music. He stole my words. Beethoven stole from Mozart, or Mozart stole from Beethoven. Wagner stole from Bach, or Bach stole from him, or Bach stole from whoever it may be. I mean, Bach was a Christian, but my point is they all steal from each other. They all pinch from each other. It's all theft, but from our perspective, the worst part of it is when you steal the words of the Lord and you have no shame, you have no issue with it. And as a result, the consequences are going to follow, not just you, but those that are following you. And David's consequences, or the consequences that followed David were lethal. And unfortunately, his behavior goes down in Scripture. And you reap what you sow, and David reaped what he sowed. The death of 85 innocent people, but the consequences of stealing, stealing, stealing the words of the Lord are impossible to really comprehend. Um, and we won't know on the side of heaven really how bad it's going to be until we arrive at the judgment seat of Christ.